Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 280, and we are continuing with our recap of the 2021 death hike. In the prior episode, Steve and myself recounted the story and our experience, and in this episode, we're speaking with several participants from the hike. I recorded segments with a handful of different participants to learn more about what the death hike was like for them this year. When we do these events, everyone has a unique experience and learns unique lessons, and I wanted to try and pull some of that out and share it with you. Along the way, we do answer some of the questions that came up from you guys and highlight those with different participants. If you're wondering more about these guys who I'm interviewing in these different segments, check out the link in the show description and I will give you more information there. But this is kind of a quick hit episode, recording different segments with different folks. Some are shorter, some are longer, some talk gear, some talk nutrition, some talk training, some talk mindset, like it really covers the gamut. We will be back to our quote-unquote normal show format after this one, so look for a full-length episode to come next, and then back to our regular Monday Minute episode format as well. If you have questions for us, especially for those future Monday Minute shows, as always, you can send those to podcast at exomountaingear.com. And if you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button so that you receive those future episodes automatically. All right, let's dive in and start talking the death hike with some of the participants. First up, we have a new participant from the death hike, Brian from Colorado. Brian, congrats, man. I feel like, you know, we get the question a lot of how do you join the death hike? And normally the short answer is you can't, but you guys somehow managed to find a way in. Yeah, I'm not uh, not so sure how we pulled that off, but I'm grateful <laughs> for it. <laughs> yeah, so to give context, it is uh, unique speaking with you because, you know, the death hike is, is never set out to be like this formal event and it's just People think it is because we talk about it, but it was really just a group of friends. Like from the very beginning, Steve and Lenny were like, hey, let's grab some buddies and go do this. And it's grown over the years, but it's always been people we know and friends and people, you know, we trust. And because of a bunch of reasons, liability, logistics, legality, there's just, we can't, you know, make it a huge event. But uh, yeah, I guess give us uh, your version of the quick and dirty on how you ended up joining us this year. So, um, basically you and Steve kind of on a podcast where like, you guys should get some buddies together. You should go do your own death hike, you know, and stuff like that. And I was like, not one to back down from a challenge. So, um, got together with my buddy Jared and was like, Hey, we should do this. We should put this together. Um, so kind of kind of backing up or whatever um talked to jared kind of talked it through a little bit and was like well where should we do it and how should we do it and you know how many people should we involve and at first i mean it was it was basically the same as like you guys say about your death hike it's like okay well we won't we don't want too many people involved because what if somebody actually gets hurt and you know all that stuff so um it was just Jared and I for our death hike. And we did it down through, um, through the Grenadier mountains, um, which are in the San Juans, Southwest, um, Colorado. So what ended up happening was we, we made this route and we were going to gain like, 
Um, supposedly, we were going to gain like 17,000 foot of elevation. Um, we were going to, it was going to be 50 miles, two days, um, stuff like that. And um, it ended up being 23,000 foot of elevation gain. And through some really gnarly, like no trails, over talus fields, over scree, um, we went over two mountain, mountain ranges. Um, we went over a 13er, which was crazy <laughs> and there was no trail coming down from that 13er. So, um, it was pretty epic. And then I just kind of put the story together, sent it to you, Mark, and, um, was like, here, you know, you challenged us to do this. So this is what we did, <laughs> you know? And, um, I guess, uh, in hindsight, looking back on it, um, you guys have always said like, you know, push yourself, push those limits. And, um, I've always had the mentality, like limits are based in fear. Like you're, you're just scared of the unknown. You're, you're scared of what might happen and you don't know that it's going to happen and you're not going to make anything happen if you don't get up and do it, you know? And so I kind of went into it with that mentality and was just like, we're going to do this. We're going to accomplish this, you know? Um, so long story short, we send that story to you. Um, and I really, you know, have appreciated learning from you guys on the podcast and, and just, and pushing those limits and, and seeing how far you could actually go, you know? So, yeah, so we, uh, I remember getting that and read the story, saw the country, know that the San Juans are no joke, and thought, man, that was that was a proper death hike. Like, you guys did it right. Like, if you're going to do something and put it together and challenge yourself, it certainly looked like a challenge and shared it with Steve. And we were both like, we should totally invite these guys. Like, clearly they're uh, ambitious and capable, which is, you know, a good proper mix there. And, you guys were planning on joining us in 2020 for the death hike, but then COVID uh, happened. So really, it's been, you know, going on two years really before you guys were able to come out and join us and stayed in touch. And you guys uh, drove over from Colorado and were you were game the whole time from the original plan to the modified plan of flying into the Frank and all that. And yeah, man, I was glad you guys uh, were able to come and do it. Yeah, it was super. I mean... I felt super fortunate and people are like, you're crazy for saying that you're grateful for doing that. <laughs> it sounds like a punishment. And I'm like, it was not like, you just don't, you don't get it. You know, you try to explain it to people that, you know, pushing your body is something I'm always game for. Yeah. It was, uh, I, don't, I didn't even mention this to you and I, this was months ago and I didn't pay attention to last names to see if it was your wife, Brian, or if it was Jared's wife. But one of you guys' wives uh, reached out through one of the EXO channels, I forget what, and was like, hey, I'm so-and-so's wife and apparently he's going on this death hike thing with you guys. And she was just kind of like, I feel like she was feeling out like, are all of you guys crazy or is my husband just seem very crazy for doing this? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was actually my wife, Sarah. Was it? Um, yeah. Yeah. So she reached out and she was like, Hey, I, I sent a message to them cause they were just like, if you got any pack questions, blah, blah, blah on the Instagram. And I was like, you did. And she's like, yeah, I just wanted to, 
try to figure out like if you're actually going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't think that's the point. I don't think any of these people signing up are like, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So this, uh, you know, we've talked about it on the podcast at this point, both the recap Steve and I did, and uh, obviously doing segments with guys who participated, but I feel like this year was just, there was so much unknown, right? And uh, new challenges based on conditions and terrain and kind of the new adventure aspect of flying in and getting dropped off and you know, what was tough from a planning perspective and Steve and I kept going back and forth on is it's like, we don't, we don't know, like, we don't know what snow conditions are. We don't know what we're going to run into. And then it makes it hard to plan and kind of script that proper level of a true test and relative, right? Like safety, you know? Um, and I will say that it, there was aspects of this hike that were more difficult than others. There was aspects of this hike that were not as difficult as others, but whether it was day one in the easy trail miles or day two, you know, you guys, uh, you and Jared were in my group and we had that rough off trail day, um, through all of it, like you and Jared both just crushed it, um, physically and mentally, you could tell that there was just like no question. So it was cool to not only, have you guys as new guys but then see you just fit right in like just solid guys and i'm just curious you know we we kept joking (laughs) too amongst the group of you know you're doing this adventure and it ended up being like say for example nine in our group so you brian and seven others and you don't know any of these guys and you're quite literally getting dropped off in the wilderness with them like to me that's a obviously a bit of a a trust move right yeah i I mean it it definitely added a twist um, of the unknown because you it's unknown personalities now, you know, I mean, I, I didn't know how any of these guys were going to perform um, physically or mentally and how they're going to react to the challenges that we're about to face and, you know, how they're going to accept me into a group, you know, um, I'm basically shaking hands with seven guys, you know, um, six guys, I guess um, that I never met before you know and i'm about to get on a plane a small plane like (laughs) um and fly into this wilderness that's like the most remote wilderness in the lower 48 you know and so i was like let's do this you know i mean i i i think i had that mentality just going into both death hikes and there's there's one of my favorite songs is um it's by zach williams but it's fear is a liar um and I just, I try to live my life that way. You know, I, I, I try to look at situations like that and yeah, it's unknown. And I mean, you don't, you don't know what challenges lay ahead, but if you don't go, you're never going to know, you know, you're never going to know how far you could push it. Um, and you're never going to make those connections. And I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful for the connections that I made because these, I mean, the, the eight guys that I spent, three days in the wilderness with they're just like solid guys you know so it was it was really cool in the end and um i think it was it did add a a certain little extra twist for us because i mean you could tell uh, the whole group was really tight knit you know they had done death hikes together in the past and um you know me coming in it's like 
okay, well, what, how am I going to be an asset? You know, you had, uh, Chris way on your podcast, not, I think about a month ago. And, um, and he was basically saying that, like you go out with this, this group of guys and you have to be very versatile and you have to be an asset to the group, you know? And so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, how am I an asset? What can I do to (laughs) kind of like stay in this group and, and let them know, like, I'm not going to hold you back, you know, or whatever. So there was that aspect for sure. Yeah. I remember, uh, I don't know if this is the first time you had the thought, but it was the first time, you know, I kind of experienced it with you of at some point, I want to say it was even day one. And I, to be honest with you, I don't remember what the context was, but it was fairly early in the hike and it was you and me. I can't remember, maybe somebody else, but anyway, we stopped or somebody in front of us stopped and, you know, essentially that became where you could see guys a few hundred yards ahead at that point. And I literally saw you like, we need to go, like, we need to get going. You know, it was like this idea where I I could sense that in you of like, I don't want to be any part of holding anyone back, you know, whereas Uh for me, knowing that, you know, having been on a ton of death hikes, it's like that happens. And it's not that those guys in front are faster. It's just you take nine guys and we're on a trail. We're not going to stay in like a perfect single file line four space, you know, four feet spaced apart between every person for every moment. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, and I kind of took that to heart cause you actually said that to me, like, yeah, some, sometimes, you know, guys are feeling good and they're ahead and sometimes they're not feeling so great. So they just kind of lag behind, but we all kind of come together as a group at the end of the day and you know, it's fine or whatever, but exactly what you just said, you know, I, I've got in the back of my head, like, okay, I don't, I don't want to hold this group back. You know, I mean, these are a group of really badass guys, you know, and they're getting it done. So, um, and that first day, I mean, we were blazing that trail. I mean, it was crazy. And yeah, it was, you know, I don't want to call it easy. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't easy because we didn't make it easy, you know, but 21 miles in one day, um, starting at 10 30 in the morning too. I mean, yeah. we didn't get started 50 super early. Yeah. The 50 pound thing was definitely the biggest like crushing factor. It was just like, Oh man, this is, I'm just not used to this. Yeah. I, I mean, I hunt with camp on my back, but I'm, I'm an archer. Like I, I hunt with like 30 pounds on my back cause it's warm, you know, it's August and September. And so it's like, Oh 50 pounds definitely adds a twist to it. But I remember you saying like, yeah, it's, it's okay. You know, they'll, they'll go ahead and then they'll slow down and you know, whatever. And that totally happened. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just part of it. Um, what, so yeah, I guess just kind of keep rolling to, for me. And I, again, I feel like I remember telling you this at the, uh, even at the end of day one, that as you said, day one, I mean, you, 21 miles in the Frank with 50 pounds. That's not easy, but it was relatively easy considering I feel like the caliber of guys we had. Um, and I think I remember it was you. I told, I feel like today was just a hike to get the death hike started. And yeah. I, at that yeah. point we didn't even know what day two looked like. <laughs> um, yep. uh, and what that would end up being. And I told the whole group going into day two, it's like, Hey, we need to pace ourselves. Like all we have to do is get these eight to 10 miles, which sounded simple after doing 21 on day one. Um, 
didn't end up being that way, obviously, as folks have probably heard. But for you, day two, I think in our group was, you know, the most most challenging day. I'm just kind of curious what your experiences or takeaways or anything from day two was. Yeah, so I think I stopped you at one point or we just stopped to drink water or whatever it was. And um, I kind of said like, well, I asked you, I was like, have all these guys done all the death hikes or whatever? And, um, you were like, yeah, most of them have done a fair amount of the death hikes and completed them and everything. And I was like, oh, good. Cause it's, it's, it was good for me to see like this guy that has already completed all the death hikes and kind of gauging, like, does he look nervous? Are we going to make it? <laughs> like, what's going to happen? Are we going to go back with our tail between our legs to the landing strip or what are we doing here? You know, because that second day, like you mentioned, I mean, is it was just brutal. I mean, it was physically demanding and everything else. And I remember thinking like, yeah, Mark was like, uh, we need to pace ourselves and we only have to make um, 10 miles, I think is what we, said at the beginning um and then it was interesting to me and my perspective of um the terrain made you pace yourself anyways but it was a much slower pace and you could tell than everyone wanted to go Mm -hmm. you know it it was like you could you could see like that thoroughbred in everyone like (laughs) raring to go like i'm chomping at the bit let's let's get down the trail you know let's let's try to tackle this canyon but it just would not let you like you, you would go, you know, like you said, I think, um, in the previous podcast, you know, that, that first break that we took, um, we sat down and we were like, um, I was the GPS guy. Yeah, you were (laughs) as, as Dan, as Dan called me. (laughs) Hey, GPS guy. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, GPS guy. How far have we gone? You know? And so we're sitting there and I'm like, I'm looking at it and like I hesitated to say, because I was like, this is going to be so demoralizing to the, all of these guys. Like when I tell them that we've gone three quarters of a mile, <laughs> they're going to be like, <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> so I remember just being like, oh, I don't want to tell them how far we've gone. But, you know, it just it made you it made you slow down you know, and you had to watch your step because nothing was stable. And, you know, we were walking over scree and we were walking over uh, balance beaming on deadfall and just everything. And some of the deadfall was like six, seven foot off the ground. And you're like, man, if I fall in this, I'm going to break something. This is not good. (laughs) Yeah. So it was super sketchy that way, you know, and mentally, mentally taxing in that respect, because you just have to think about every little foot placement and, and what you're doing. And, um, you know, I think that second day too, we had balance beamed probably, probably like a half a mile. I mean, there was deadfall everywhere. And then we got to this Creek and, um, it was right before our, like, probably like our third break, we get to the Creek and everybody just like totally just sends it across the creek. We're like, we're just so done. Like you could just tell guys were like, I just want to sit down. Like this is so slow and it's so monotonous that it's like, 
I just want to get through this Creek and get through this section and let's move on, you know? Um, and you could see it in guys, um, and they were getting quieter and they were just like, you know, maybe trying to rush it along. But like I said, you would hit these certain points in these certain sections. And it, you know, I remember coming to this hill and the hill was basically frozen. Like the dirt on the hill was frozen. And you took a pretty good tumble down that because you couldn't get traction. I mean, you could not get a foothold to save your life. Um, so I like to call that my dismount. That's all that was. Your dismount. That was yeah. a very, a very uh, good dismount with flair. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that legit, it, that happened so fast. It completely caught me off guard. And then I knew I was like, I mean, I was moving pretty quick once I started falling and I knew I was going to a creek bottom, but we had just come through such a thick section. I didn't know what was below me. Like, I didn't know, am I going to tumble over something? Is it a rock face? Is it deadfall? It just happened so fast. I literally just remember turning on my side and like grabbing for stuff to try and stop. Yeah. But, well, yeah. and it, and it's happened so quickly. I was standing right next to you and I like reached out and I, you were down the hill by the yeah, time. I was gone before you could react. I was yeah. like, holy cow. And that was the other thing. <laughs> it was, um, we were going along a creek bottom. We got cliffed out. Um, we were going along a creek bottom and, um, you had shimmied between like this rock face and this tree. And like, I, I don't even know how you did it. It looked like, like you morphed into this gelatin and went around this rock. And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do that. <laughs> I, think, I think I was in front at that point. Right. I was the first one to go. Yeah. Through, Cause we yeah, were like, you were. we were route finding. Yeah. I, w- I remember being halfway through that and just having that thought of, Oh, these guys behind me are so screwed because <laughs> I was yeah. halfway in it. And like, same thing. I'm like, I don't know how I'm getting out of this, but it's either forward or back and I can't tell what's going to happen. Oh, it was so rough. And then, well, and then Dan was behind you. And Dan tried to go through and steps on the branch that I don't know if you had stepped on or not, but you basically have to stand on the branch and it's hard to describe, but this rock face and this like tree a big wedge. Like a it's a wedge. Yeah. And so he's like trying to shimmy through and he, the branch broke that he was standing on and he fell and it looked like he fell into a bucket. So he's, he's literally right in front of me and he's, he has his leg up in the air both legs up in the air and his butt's on the ground and he's like trying to grab and pull himself up and he's like i said dan can you get up (laughs) and he's like just get my pack and i don't know if i like overcompensated or what but i grabbed his pack and basically picked him up by a pack and like threw him through the hole (laughs) yeah and so he's like good luck (laughs) (laughs) thanks bud yeah that's fine so that was cool but um and then i mean really that second day um since it took us so long to move such a short distance you know most of the memories are in that day you know even though it was our shortest mileage day it's like um you know i i remember getting to section after section and um, like you had mentioned, you know, there, there's guys down below, they're trying to find a way there's guys up above. They're trying to find a way these guys get cliffed out and they go meet these guys down in the bottom. And it's like 
every way that you looked, every way that you tried to go, like you just could not physically get through like with, with a good pace, you know? And so it was just like, I guess I'm just going slow today. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to have to wrap my head around that and be okay with it. Like, um, so it's definitely a mental like tug of war, you know, of, okay, this is a death hike. I'm supposed to be hiking fast, (laughs) but I'm not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, and then pushing on through that second day, um, after we're basically whipped by the mountain, I mean, and the mountain just like, um, I said it before, like it just demanded your respect that day. Like it was like, you're not going to go fast and I'm not going to let you, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and you had to be okay with that. Like you had to make peace with that and just be like, okay. You literally just could not do what you wanted to do, period. No, no. And you could see all of us, like, again, just chomping at the bit, just trying to go. And then we took our last break before we strapped on snowshoes. And it was just like, I just experienced like the worst, possibly the worst day of my life in the mountain. (laughs) (laughs) And now I have to finish on these snowshoes and, and they're so foreign. Right. I mean, like I, I trained on snowshoes for the death hike quite a bit, but like I don't regularly go on snowshoes. Um, and so, you know, now you're strapping this foreign object to your foot and now you got to climb this hill and you find all these little booby traps where the snow is soft. And even with 25 inch snowshoes, you're sinking to your crotch, you know? And so you're like, crap, I, I still can't move fast. I thought for sure this would be frozen and I could move fast on top of it, you know? And so you're just so demoralized, you know, and you just, um, kind of in your head are like, okay, this, this will get better. Like this is, this is going to get better. And it just didn't that day. I mean, the second day, it just never did, did get better, you know? Um, and then we, we got over to, um, the last possible water or whatever. And, and both you and I, I think, um, filled out with like four liters. Cause we're like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get water again and everything's frozen. And, um, you know, we, we basically climbed this little rock outcropping where the spring was coming out and we got water there. And then you're like looking up the hill and we're trying to decide, you know, amongst the group, like, okay, what direction do we go from here? Like, do we just go up over the saddle or, you know, where do we go? Um, and again, you're looking at it like there's just no good way. Like this is just going to suck. You just have to be okay with the fact that this is a suck fest. (laughs) So, you know, we strap on our snowshoes after we get water and now you got four liters of water in your pack on top of the 40 ish pounds of gear. So, you know, now you're over 50 pounds, you got snowshoes on, which are only rated for whatever poundage. Um, and you're climbing this hill and it yeah. was a steep hill. It was, I mean, a, it was steep a steep little climb. shoot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're all behind each other. And I remember at one point, like I was behind um, Garrett, who was the smallest guy or the lightest guy in our group. 
he's 160 and I'm 200. So I'm behind him and I'm like, this is not going to go well for me. (laughs) (laughs) He's not going to pack that snow down at all. And he didn't. And I, and I stepped like right in his footsteps and I would sink like to my knees and I had to pull my leg out of the snow and, you know, keep moving. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to hurry up and get in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'll, I'll just pack it down for him. It'll be better <laughs> right. for both of them. So, <laughs> so kind of get up that hill and, um, then we kind of, we went around to that saddle, um, and found our camp spot and I remember getting to the camp spot and just being like I don't know if I have the mental fortitude right now to pitch my tent like my brain was so just fried from watching where my footsteps went to you know just everything that you have to pay attention to you know when you're on unstable ground and and just the nastiness yeah and when you Um, say pitch your tent you don't mean like figure out which pole goes where but we were on the snow <laughs> we're looking for spots you have to exactly you have to pick yeah. a spot try not to set it up where you're just literally going to fall through i mean yeah it was it was a kind of a mess well and then there was um you know where we picked to pitch our tent we 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 tried to get in the trees to shelter us from the wind you know because the wind was whipping up every now and then um, and like you, just what you just said, you know, I mean, you're trying to find the perfect spot. Well, there's a Creek that runs underneath the snow. And so you're looking at this thinking, okay, well I can just walk across there. And at one point, like I tried to step on that and it just sank. And I was like, oh crap, I can't pitch tent here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're all like trying to use a shovel, trying to stomp it down with snowshoes, you know, trying to figure out what's a flat spot. And they're just, there wasn't the greatest spot in the world, you know? Um, and then uh, not to mention there's, you know, uh, seven tents, I guess a, co- a couple guys, me included shared tents, um, two man tents or whatever. Yeah. And um, you know, to, to pitch a two man versus like a tarp, you know, you need more space. So I'm like, huh, I just don't even feel like looking for space. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your yeah. brain's just so fried. And uh, so anyways, long story short, you just make yourself do it. I mean, yeah. that's, that's like the key of the death. hike. I feel like, like you just, you're going to do this, you know? You just don't have um, choice. Yeah. 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 And so, um, we, we pitched tent and everybody, you know, is making, um, making dinner and they're like putting it in their jacket to keep warm. Cause it was getting cold quick. You know, that sun dipped below that mountain and it, it started getting pretty, pretty cold. So, um, everybody's like kind of huddled in their tents and they're just like, like this silence, yeah. It's just like nobody wants to say anything. Nobody has the energy to think up anything to say, you know, or whatever. And um, I boiled, I actually boiled um, two liters of water um, and I poured one liter in my bladder and put it in my sleeping bag. And I put one liter just boiling water in the Nalgene and put that in my sleeping bag and the Nalgene kept me warm 
and the boiling water that I added to the cold water kept it from freezing at night. So that was kind of my like system that I had already thought, Oh, I'm going to try this and it worked. Um, but, uh, everybody's like, you, you take your snowshoes off and you walk over to where you're going to make dinner or whatever. So I'm going to fire up the jet boil. Well, I take a step and I just sink to my crotch and I'm like, shouldn't have took the snowshoes off. So yeah. you put the snowshoes back on and you're like, holy cow, like this is just one thing after the other. And it's, it seems so small, um, but it just wasn't in that moment. Like it was, it was just like the smallest things just aggravated you so bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, when is this ever going to stop? Yeah. I think I just need to go to sleep so that it's another day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a, yeah. a lesson for me too of, you know, even what you're talking about with the water and those simple things of, you know, you should do, or maybe you think of, but you don't want to do because you're tired and you're exhausted and all that. Like you, it sounds so silly saying this now sitting in, you know, a comfortable house of like, how easy is that? But in the yeah. moment, it can just be really easy to put off doing what you know you should or what's the smartest way just because you're physically mentally exhausted but uh in the end you'll regret taking those shortcuts like i did i mean i I was literally going to do the same thing of i made dinner i was sitting there uh waiting for my meal to rehydrate and my plan was to boil water to put my nalgene to put my sleeping bag for that night and i was just like nah nah it'll be all right you know and then i wake up to a rock like literally rock hard no water and algae you know it's just like taking that easy way out just because i'm tired it's just it, it never pays off you know yeah i totally i totally remember you pulling that bag out and it being like a block of ice and i was like oh that's gonna suck yeah and then actually <laughs> later in the day um i asked you to pull my water bottle out and you were like can i have a drink yeah <laughs> and i'm like yeah yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was I was glad that I had a uh I had another little 1 liter platypus bottle that was empty the whole time. So I was basically using that as my only decent water source on the third day just cuz yeah. like an idiot was just tired and lazy and let everything else freeze. So Well, but it's it's hard to hard to make yourself do those little things. So Yeah. Which which like I said, it sounds ridiculous now like what an idiot, but it's just it's funny and just so to me, that's one of the things that's so valuable is putting yourself in those situations where you're just kind of at your limit a bit. Um, and then just learning lessons, seeing how you respond and all that stuff. I mean, to me, that's what's part of the value of doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. For sure. I'm pushing those limits, you know, I mean, they were your limits, right? Like those were my limits before the death hike and then the death hike taught me oh no my limits are way over there you know now so i think that's like my biggest takeaway and really my biggest takeaway from being in the wilderness too is like the the way the wilderness just has a way of taking away like all your first world problems you know like now now you got to figure out how to keep your water thawed out like that's just like basic needs of life at this mm-hmm. point. Like you're, you're, you're not focused on, Oh, how many likes did I get on Instagram or, or any crap like that? Like you're, you're in it. Like if, as long as you 
as long as you have that mentality, you're, you know, you're in the middle of that and you're experiencing it. And that's like, um, I don't need that stuff. Like you, you, you see how simple life could be, you know, from the death hike, I think it's, is like the main lesson that I take away. And yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough to make your body do stuff that it really doesn't want to do because it's easier to sit on the couch and it's easier to make excuses. Oh, I got to work or whatever. But at the same time, it's like you made yourself do that and you broke your body down a little bit, but look what lessons you took away and look, look how much a better person you are, you know? So I think of that, even with you guys of, you know, number one, like you talked about before, you took that choice to, to come and do this with people you never met, but even like logistics, I mean, you guys drove from Colorado, you rented a truck, you took time off work, you left the family for days and it's super easy to go, ah, that's just not worth the hassle, right? Like the time or the money or the risk or whatever. But I mean, as you just said so well, on the other side of it, there's so much value. So Oh yeah. The, the, yep. It can be inconvenient in the moment, like while you're doing something difficult, but it honestly is just can be super inconvenient to create that opportunity. Um, and it takes work to create the opportunity, but it's, you know, it all pays off on the other side. Oh yeah. It pays dividends for sure. Well, Dione, man, uh, it was a fun death hike. It was good to share some miles with you. I know, uh, at one point, one of the new guys on the hike with us this year was asking me about guys in the group and who had done it and things like that. And I remember telling him the story. I'm like, yeah, you see Dione over there. I was like, the first time I met him, we hiked through the night on a death hike. So uh, it's always funny connecting with you because it just brings back those memories of essentially me feeling like I'm hiking with strangers through the wilderness in the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're only strangers for a minute. You do something like this with a guy and, uh, you know, like you said, that that was where we met. But it's like, okay, I've I've seen you a total of four times now, but still feel like we're really close. Like I, yeah. I, I feel like I have this knowledge of Mark that uh, it's, that's on a more personal level than people I've spent a lot more time with. So yeah, likewise, man, for sure. Yeah, this year was a fun one. Uh, there's all kinds of places I can think of going with this one. But you know, we were chatting post hike, and uh, you know, one of the things that came up just kind of for you personally, and that's the whole goal is to talk about your experience and kind of what you took away from this one was you were mentioned in nutrition stuff for you this year was more dialed than it had ever been. And you were just kind of feeling physically better uh, than in prior years. So I, I don't know what that was. I hadn't chatted with you about that, but what, what was different for you this year and how do you feel like it worked? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I done, I've done a number of these death hikes before and I've, uh, did the hundred miler and then obviously the one you and I are talking about through Hell's Canyon. And, and in the past, Steve had made available that information from Kyle camp, um, for the hundred miler. And I totally neglected it. Um, but before this one, I, I was having a little bit more concerns. Um, I've, I've got some digestive issues and, uh, and it's, it's really hard for me to eat while I hike. Um, so I wanted to have a little bit better plan going into this one because historically I would just, uh, you know, eat almost nothing through the day and then try and eat a huge dinner and that it just hasn't worked well for me. So I reached out to Kyle camp and, um, he gave me a few pointers on some things that were super digestible and, and good energy sources for me to basically just drink throughout the day. Um, but I've, I've never felt as strong as I have hiking. I'm, 
I'm definitely not in the shape I was for the hundred miler. I, I haven't been able to train as much with two kids now, but, um, even, even being kind of out of shape for where I like to be, I've, I've never felt that strong. So it was, it was huge for me. I, I just didn't realize that there was that much, that much performance I was leaving on the table just from not having my diet dialed in. Hmm. You remember on the hundred miler, you, like you said, you were kind of struggling to get calories in. And then I feel like for a while you were trying to eat stuff and essentially <laughs> it was coming back up as you were putting it down. Do you, do you just feel like you don't yeah, I, digest well when you're physically active or do you, th- you know, was it the so, certain food or what's up with that? Do you know, I've, I've actually got Crohn's disease. So, um, oh, okay. I'm, you know, I, it's, it's managed pretty well. And I, you know, day to day doesn't, doesn't really impact me that much. Uh, yeah, it's, it definitely, definitely feels like it's more of a task for me to, uh, to digest foods. Um, I just, uh, you know, it seems like if I eat something, I'm shut down for a good hour or more before I'll start to feel well again. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it takes me a while if I, uh, if I try to eat anything solid and basically everything didn't realize it, but everything I was trying to eat was, uh, was really hard to break down foods. So you know, the suggestions he gave to me were just really, really easily digestible carbohydrates, basically. And, um, and I was able to just slow drip feed myself the entire day and just never really felt like I crashed. So what are some of those specifics? I know, uh, with you, one of the guys mixing tang in terms of like drink calories, but even on the, on the food side, those simple carbs, what, what specifically worked well for you? So I, I pretty much existed each day up until dinner on, on tailwind, uh, which is a mixed drink tang yeah. and uh, Gatorade endurance chews. Um, that's all I ate. I mean, I was a bit hungry throughout the day, but definitely never got that nauseous. I need to eat feeling. And, uh, and like I was saying, I just felt really strong the whole time. Huh. That's awesome. man. it's so, uh, like it just kind of highlights the idea that, different folks work differently and need different things on nutrition and you can extrapolate that to gear and what have you but literally we were talking with justin clement and he was being like he's flat out can't do sugar like so a tailwind or a tang or a gatorade type deal like he can't do like he was literally low sugar high fat meat and cheese and that works great for him and now you it's like simple sugars carbohydrates easy to go it's i mean it's literally the vast opposite end of the spectrum but for each of you guys, it's exactly what works for you. Yeah. And I, you know, I'd always thought the same thing too. And I, you know, when I'm, when I'm hunting, I basically live off pepperoni sticks. It's, it's not, it's not an <laughs> impressive diet program I have, <laughs> but, uh, and, and I always typically feel better when I eat a higher fat meal when I'm up in the Hills. But, um, you know, I tried it on, on a couple quick training hikes and, and just felt super good. So I, I definitely had some faith in Kyle going into it and I've got, I've got a lot more coming out of it now. So I, I actually signed up, uh, signed up with his program just to try and get my, my day-to-day diet more on track. Cause, uh, I want to feel as good as I felt on that death hike all the time. And I know, I know dietary wise, I've, I've got a lot of room for improvement. So I'm looking <laughs> forward to that. That's awesome. That'll be cool to hear how that goes. I, I've, I've obviously worked with Kyle a bit and talked with a number of folks who have, and it's, uh, he always gets impressive results, right? And I think part of that is he's willing to, he knows from a nutrition perspective what works, but at the same time, he's not too dogmatic or rigid. And once he figures out what works for each individual, which is key. Definitely. 
definitely that's so. cool man another thing uh you had mentioned we were chatting after the hike <laughs> you were saying how it's fun for these events because you you bring together a bunch of different guys a lot of guys are gear nerds and you're like yeah it's cool to go to you know like hunt expo or some sort of like trade show type thing but you're saying you feel like you learn more pick up little things see different or new gear like truly obviously in a real world field use uh example on a death hike than anywhere else so any any standouts from your personal gear of things that uh worked well or didn't work well or at the same time like any things you saw from others that you now have an interest in definitely no i i i tunnel in and kind of just I'll, I'll go down a rabbit hole of things that i think are good and i'm, I'm pretty opinionated on a lot of this stuff because I've, I've i've done quite a bit and you know i started into this at a time when there wasn't that much for selection so i formed a lot of my opinions and and i've been been pretty narrow-minded with some of them uh when it comes to looking at other gear um and, you know i'm always looking at, at stuff but so much of it's marketing and fluff but um, you know, getting into a situation like that, just comparing the difference between your tent and my tent, I've got a, a six moons design skyscape that I've thought was the coolest thing since sliced bread since the day I got it. And you had that gossamer gear, which is a very, very similar tent, um, functionally two trekking pole tent, similar size footprint, but it, uh, the way it spreads out at the top gives you a lot more room. And that, uh, that second night we had, you know, it hit negative two and, and, you know, mouth breather through the night i wake up and my sleeping bag's covered with with you know ice from my condensation from my breath and uh and the walls of the tent are the same way and, and i'm looking at your tent it's like man if i had more headroom like that tent has i i could have got dressed without getting everything soaked mm-hmm. um so just little things like that where you know if if we'd have been on a summer scouting trip or something i saw your tent i saw my tent I'm like oh it's basically the same thing no big deal but you know, under those circumstances in the field, seeing, seeing something that I had that was a performance, not necessarily a flaw, but definitely, definitely a weaker point. And then seeing yours and seeing how it's just, just that slight bit different, but how it offers that advantage. Um, you know, that's something you can't totally get at a trade show. You know, if if you've got that in mind, when you're looking at something, uh, admittedly, that's like a pretty unique situation, but, Mm -hmm. um, it's just cool to see stuff function at a, at a level where, you know, we're, we're definitely pushing some of our gear past what it was designed for. I mean, those, most of those, everybody, except for, for Justin and Garrett with that Hilleberg, everybody had a three season tent or two season tent. So, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of cool seeing stuff operating at its limits. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there's definitely plenty of shelters there that were not used in conditions they were designed for. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then even, you know, I was, I was super pleased with the performance of my snowshoes, um, but I kind of scoffed at the some of the plastic modeled snowshoes uh, beforehand. But some of them seem to function just as well or better than my uh, than my MSR Lightning Ascents. So, um, you know, just getting to see things function uh, out in the field is was was pretty cool. And everybody had a little bit different approach, but it seemed like everything works pretty well. Yeah. Hmm. I- to me, Dione, like you're a kind of like a non, non-fluff, non-hype guy that's at the same time like has a ton of knowledge and experience and just a really solid hunter. For a trip like this, 
what how does that help you as a hunter translate into your hunting because i already feel like you have so much experience so much time in the field have been out in a lot of different contexts were there still things this year that you felt like help you kind of in your continued evolution or growth as a hunter definitely like we, we talked about the diet thing that that was huge for me because i've spent so many days on a mountain where it's like i'm i'm, I'm able to do anything i tell myself i'm gonna do pretty much but there's a lot of times where I just feel lousy doing it. And I'm sure everybody else has been in that position too. And, um, that, that was cool to, to be able to see that I don't have to. And the other thing that was dramatic for me is, is I'm a, I've always been a bring everything in the kitchen sink kind of hunter. Um, and, and one thing we talked a lot about during the hike, uh, was how much it seemed like it was just harder than other death hikes. And, and, uh, you know, we were all carrying right, right there around 50 pounds. It felt like, I think my pack, with, with one of my water bladders full was like 54 pounds. Um, and we mashed out 21 miles the first day and it just felt like I was a lot more beat up than I should have been for, for just doing 21 miles. Admittedly, that's a lot, a lot of miles, but, um, you know, in scope of the death hike, that's a pretty mild day, but we'd never done that kind of hammering out miles with that much weight. Um, and it, it was kind of an eye opener to me, uh, seeing that, yeah, that, a little bit of extra weight does make it exponentially harder. And then definitely felt it day two where, where we were just suffering in the rock slides and, and down timber and all the other stuff we were trying to navigate. Um, so it's, it's made me think a little bit more about actually trying to go lightweight with some of this stuff. Cause that's never really been a priority for me, but might, might just be that I'm getting older now, but I see a little, I see a little more value in it than I used to. Yeah. So you're, you're thinking of like transitioning from, uh, a full bottle of whiskey to like a small flask. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll leave, I'll leave the glass bottle at home and just pack, pack a little plastic one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want you to fully lose your reputation. Dione. Uh, you know, sometimes the creature comforts are worth their weight. Okay. Yeah, I agree, little, man. little sip of whiskey when you're sitting on a mountain. It's a, uh, it's never a bad thing. It, it puts me in a good state of mind, even if I have to pack it. <laughs> AJ, what was your first death hike, man? Uh, it was last year, the okay. hundred miler, the second hundred miler. Yeah, the uh, it's funny because we've Steve and I have talked so much about the hundred miler, quote unquote, which was the first one. But yeah, last year, uh, for context, we had planned to do what we did this year, what we'll talk about with the snowshoe hike and the Frank and COVID threw a wrench in those plans. And then Steve is just like, hey, let's go repeat the hundred miler, and so that's when you joined in. That's it's a heck of a way to start, man. How did you fare on that one? You know, last year was, uh, it was good for me. I felt really good coming, coming into it. And, uh, I, I was really worried, you know, you saw, you saw all the pictures of everybody saw the pictures of Soulsman's feet and Chris Horton's feet and all that. And I was really concerned about that. So I put in a lot of time to make sure that that didn't happen. And it was, uh, it was tough, tough, but, uh, survivable. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, that those memories I have from that original hundred miler and those, yeah, those battle wounds, <laughs> those guys and their feet issues, man. That was crazy to see. What now? I'm curious. What footwear did you use for that hundred miler last year? I'm a big fan of the Hoka's, and I ran a pair of Hoka Stinsons. Okay, yeah. And uh, man, my feet did amazing. I was so happy with those things, and I actually ran those again during the same boot. Um, same ones I wore on the hike, honey, hunting elk, and 
I tried to use just regular boots after that, and I've kind of been spoiled. I have a hard time wearing anything else. They're just like you, your feet just feel so much better after, you know, I, we did 37 miles, I think, that first day, and my feet mm-hmm. felt great and uh, really had zero feet issues. So I, I can't say enough about those. They're, you know, they don't last. They pro- I probably yeah. wore through them after 200 miles, but man, to, have your feet feel good after doing 30 miles. It's, it's, uh, to me, it's worth it. That's cool. They do decent off trail and everything. You know, those held together really well. That's, I think my biggest complaint about them is the soles. Um, they don't have a ton of grip, but, uh, they, I mean, they held up. I, that's what ended up failing on them. Really the top of the boot held together just fine. It was just that I was ripping off all the, all the rubber, uh, lugs and Mm -hmm. was just left with foam. So traction was kind of getting to be minimal near the end of elk season, but man, they, I, I, one weekend I put on, uh, a pair of, you know, hard boots. And by the end of, it was one of our harder weekends on elk season. And it, uh, my feet just killed me. So I couldn't wait to put those things back on. So what going into this year and the death hike and snow and all that, like obviously it'd be tough to get away with a hookah for that. What did you end up wearing this year? I ended up going with a pair of Solomon. They're like the forties, but they're their winter version. And uh, I was, I was a, a last minute I was going back and forth between the crispy Laponias, which were more like a summer one. Yeah. But, you know, I think Anthony, Dan, Dione, um, on our side, uh, Justin Clement, he, every, a lot of guys wore those on this trip. And I regret moving away from them because I'd done a lot of training with them. And for whatever reason, mine don't seem to leak. I keep pretty warm in them and just feel really good on them in the snowshoes. So mm-hmm. I was back and forth. My, my the reason I went to Solomon, it was a last minute. I was running in and out of the van and actually ended up bringing my Laponias with me, but, uh, and just leaving them in the van at the airport. But the reason I went to Solomon's I was, it was, we were talking about the last weather forecast that we saw and we saw that, it was supposed to get really cold. And so I was, I was scared that, uh, my feet were going to get too cold. And in hindsight, I wish I would have stuck with the Laponius, but, uh, yeah. the Salmons worked all right. Even though you went with the quote unquote winter Salmons, you actually had issues with your feet getting real cold. Yeah. Right? That that's the funny part. And I, I blame a lot of that on the socks. I was wearing those, uh, in NGD toe socks uh-huh. and, uh, they're like a compression sock, you know, and yeah. idea being that they'll pull sweat away and protect your toes and stuff. But I think it, it was, it was my toes that are the issue and they've been giving me issues a lot on winter anyways. Like I've done a lot of snowboarding and stuff and I really just have a hard time getting a lot of blood flow to that area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I kind of expected it anyways, but I think just that compression getting blood into the toes when you're already really cold starting out on day three, it was that cold, super cold morning that we all had. And, uh, I just couldn't seem to get any blood there. So I had to stop and take a break, but I I don't know. I wasn't too concerned at that point. I mean, we knew we only had like 10 miles left. Uh, I could have grunted out if I wanted to, but I just, it was uncomfortable. And so Pat Mm. said, he'd hang out with me and 
So I just let them warm up in the sun. I mean, we could have started a fire. There's a lot of solutions to the problem, but I ended up pulling those, pulling those liners off and just going with the single pair and that seemed to help everything out. Yeah. So that was right off the bat on the morning of, uh, on the final morning, you know, after that cold night, you just kind of woke up with them cold and started cold. Yeah. Well, I, I woke up with them actually warm. I had stuffed my puffy down on my feet and slept all night with that. And I was kind of hot that night. Uh Um, I I had ran a zero degree bag that, and, uh, uh, sleeping bag liner. And so I was really warm. (laughs) Yeah, it was a little overkill, and uh, <laughs> I I went I went on the heavy side, just like worst case scenario. If I get stuck in my tent, I'm gonna be comfortable. Like that Heck was yeah. my thought going in. So, <laughs> you know, um, so my feet were actually kind of probably sweaty when I got out, and I think that's part mm-hmm. of the reason that I got cold so fast that morning. Is once you got out of the tent, put your the boots. We had the same problem with boots being frozen, so. Once I got them in there, it was like they were ice blocks anyways. And so I think mm-hmm. it just trapped that cold in. And I figured after I climbed, um, you know, we, we started out on day three, we had like 2,500 or 2,400 feet to climb. And so I figured, you know, top of the climb, I'm going to be fine. Well, I got to the top of the climb. I still couldn't feel my toes. And I was like, okay, I need to change something here. So that's when, once we got to the very top up there, that's, it was a good place to sit anyway. So I decided I'd let them uh, air out and try to get some circulation back in them and just took like, I don't know, 20 extra minutes. And after that, man, they were fine. You're good to go. Yeah. Huh. So you were, uh, I know you were, uh, especially I think many of you guys in your group, again, we were in separate groups, but even talking with Steve and some of the other guys from your group, uh, the snow conditions were such that you guys did a fair amount, not on snowshoes, but using the micro spikes for guys who had them. And I know that you, you did, you were one of those guys who used those. Were those new to you or had you used them before? I've never used them. I'm, I have considered them in the past. And then I saw, I think Steve sent an email saying, Hey, I'm considering bringing these. And so that was, that was the, the final straw to me buying them. I mean, I'd like I say, considered them in the past. And so I, it was a good excuse to buy them. And I kind of was hoping that it would work out. You know, I mean, it, it makes sense that if the snow is hard enough that time of year, there's a lot of melting going on during the day. And if the temperatures are cold enough at night, you'd assume that it would freeze up, you know? So I kind of was hoping that it was going to work out that way. And man, it was, those things are game changer. Cause you're not like, I, there was half of us had them, half of us didn't. And I think uh, you waste a lot of extra energy watching the guys, like, even though they did fine, just like that little slip that you have and mm-hmm. that extra thought you have to put into your foot placement it's just a little bit more taxing and when you're doing you know 10 12 miles whatever we did it just it's nice to know that when you put your foot down it's not going anywhere and that's how you, that was confidence inspiring traction you know like you just felt good you, especially on like side hills where where normally you know you're sliding and you've got a creek down below you and it's cold you're worried about ended up wet it was really nice just to like be able to put your foot down and just feel like you weren't going anywhere yeah yeah no i fully agree i mean i've i've worn them not even in snow but just like in some wet steep loose stuff um and as you said just from a an efficiency perspective it makes a huge difference when you can push off with solid traction versus you know, that little bit of slip, that little bit of give, the little bit of extra 
caution or worry about you know foot placement things like that i mean it's truly just like throwing it into four-wheel drive and going without worrying or being too technical yeah i'd I'd equate it to like climbing a hill of solid dirt versus like muddy or you know sandy dirt it's just like you just have that little bit extra that's just taxing and it didn't feel like that with those you know yeah so you mentioned maybe sleep system you went a little overkill on do you feel like in general you maybe packed more than you need or is that just kind of like one example where you're like yeah that was you know a bit maybe excessive or were there any is there anything else that comes to mind i guess of brought it but didn't need it or maybe wish i would have brought it but didn't have it type things you know uh i was trying to think about that like i think i packed pretty minimally but went kind of heavy on the sleep system and on the tent you know i, I ran a big agnes uh fly creek too and uh just wanted space to be able to bring in my stuff and and keep it out of the weather if we had it and like i said i really you you don't know what the weather's going to be so um i knew that i could pretty much while i'm hiking in the winter i i'm way too hot like i sweat it's a problem for me i think even when we stopped i was in my base layer pretty much the whole time i never really put on a second layer until we got to camp at night and even then it took me a while to cool down and so i i knew that about myself going in and really wanted to have like comfortable intent in case we get slammed by crappy weather you know like it just that was that was a goal so i went heavy on those and but then i didn't all i had was the uh first like uh uncompomfre puffy mm-hmm. and um then a vapor shell rain shell mm-hmm. i didn't bring any um extra bottoms except for I, some zip off uh thermals for long johns you know and just my pants so i i was really kind of minimalist in in the clothes and stuff that i brought and then wanted camp to be comfortable so you know if i were to change it or anything i might bring like a brooks down vest would have been nice to have like an extra extra like core uh, warmth yeah core warmth like i kind of consider bringing a vest uh like a catalyst vest but i think the brooks would have been been great for that like lightweight super warm uh, yeah in compressibility but Otherwise, I don't think there's a thing in my pack that uh, I didn't use. That's, I guess I brought some water drops treatment expecting to uh, treat like my bladder. Uh-huh. I brought a three, three liter bladder um, and was thinking that, you know, most likely they wouldn't really need to treat it, but it'd be nice to drop some uh, the Aquamira drops in there and, and I could do a whole bunch real fast, but Mm. I brought the Steri pin and that was killer. And I just ended up using that the whole time. Just kind of stuck to the bottle on that. Yep, exactly. And, yeah. you know, I think I got to a point where I was like, I didn't really feel like filtering. Like a lot of the guys on our, our group were just like, man, this water, it, it doesn't seem like we really need no, no sign of animals anywhere. It didn't really feel like we needed to filter much. So a few of us took that risk and stopped filtering probably day two. Yeah, yeah, I did the same kind of towards the end of the day too, and we got higher and yeah, like you said, lack of sign and fresh snow melt and all that stuff. I didn't, I didn't towards the end myself. You yeah. mentioned uh, 
in a follow up after the hike, and I've heard a couple guys. You know, it's it's one of these things. I feel like some guys swear by them, and then you mentioned you had issues with them. But like the whole idea of salt tablets, um, yeah. you said that they don't work well for you. Do you get like GI upset with those? Or you just don't feel yeah. good, or yeah. So so last year that was my biggest problem on the the hundred miler was uh, on day two. I got night two, like coming down that big downhill. I got oh, that was brutal, man. Uh, that, that section's was, tough. <laughs> yeah, it kicked my butt, and I was, and we we I was with Boshma and Charlie Perry, and I think Will, and uh, you know we were crushing that. We came out of that flying, and just all decided we didn't really want to take the pressure of taking it slow, so we pretty much ran down that hill. And uh, I'd been having a hard time eating that day, and was way undercaloried. And uh, by the time I got to camp. I was sick, super sick. And I think what part of it was the part of the reason I wasn't eating is I was eating a lot of salt tablets at the beginning of the day, thinking that I needed to have that. And I felt like it just messed me up. And, you know, I talked with like Kyle camp about it and stuff. And he's like, I, he, he doesn't feel like salt tablets are super necessary for most of the foods that I was eating and stuff. So, um, I, and I had talked to him beforehand, but I, you know, taking other guys advice that had done it before I tried them on day one. And even on day one, I kind of would get upset a little bit if I ate too many of them. So day three of last year's death, like I stopped doing them and I felt great. And so I was like, you know, I don't think I'm going to go that route anymore. I, I like, I have a few hydration powders that I like. And, uh, so this year that's what I decided to do is just purely hydration powders mixed with the drink and not worry about it other than that. And I, I, didn't have an issue so i felt really good about that choice cool man so beyond you know gear logistics that type of thing more just about the experience uh what was the takeaway from you for you from this year from the death hike you know it was it was weird i had gone into it uh expecting it to be like last year like last year was probably one of the most mentally and physically toughest things I've ever done, you know, that, that hundred miler. And so I really was expecting to get our butt kicked on this. And so coming in, our group just got spoiled. You know, it was like every choice we made was the right one. And it just ended up being like, not that demanding. And, uh, you know, part of that's probably I trained well and, and felt good coming into it. And, stuff but uh i kind of wish like it was hard coming out in here and you guys like went through a grind like i was like i kind of wanted that a little bit but at the same time it sounds sounds silly right like yeah i wanted it to be be harder but it's like i don't know i i equate it to being on like a football team when the coach would punish you by making you watch your team run laps you know it's like Mm -hmm. hearing that other guys had this hard grind it was kind of kind of weird in that respect but man it was so much fun like how how lucky and to are we to get to go do this stuff and be physically able to do that stuff i mean mm-hmm. that was the takeaway it was like i just feel super blessed and lucky that i get to do this stuff and i just like the coolest group of guys to hang out with and i just i had a blast man it was just so much fun yeah. wish i could uh spend more time doing that you know right no i get it man it's uh something we all look forward to and glad to have you a part of it and thanks for hopping on here and sharing some of the story with us man so jake you were uh you're nervous before this hike man 
I was, you know, I actually have that in my podcast notes right here. Pre-flight farts is just the bullet <laughs> point that I have listed out right here. You know, I had a few things that I wanted to talk about and that was the first thing. You were uh, like, yeah, you were, uh, you were like a nervous puppy farting in the car on the way to go do something. I did do that. Yeah. I was just nervous. Um, I would say, I don't know what do you, I, I kept talking to you about the hike maybe two weeks before, like you think yeah. you can make it, you know? And I was listening to the, like I told you before we started the podcast, um, I listened to like 15 minutes of the one you guys did released yesterday. Um, how it's like that nervous excitement. Um, and I was, I was excited, but I was also nervous, you know, we, who knew what was going to happen. Um, so yeah, it was just a whole lot of, uh, anxiety and just, I was nervous, man. Um, I feel like for part of the time you kind of were like questioning, I, th I think probably questioning your ability, but then also yes. questioning maybe just the sanity of like, should we do this? I, I feel like if we didn't push you, you probably would have been like, nah, forget it, man. Like I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, I was, yeah, I was definitely questioning my abilities at the, at the start. Cause I was just telling you guys like, guys, I haven't been training that much. You know, I've been doing other stuff, like hanging out with my friends, girlfriend, doing schoolwork, kind of things like that. I've been taking training as seriously as other people have. So I didn't want to set myself up or put myself in a position where, you know, I, I could be regretting, you know, day two on the hike and, you know, regretting coming here. So, but yeah, I mean, and now we're here doing the podcast. So everything turned out all right. Um, so yeah, first off, yeah, I just kind of, question my abilities. And then second, you know, I think the morning of, you know, flying or driving up to McCall up to the, um, the landing strip or, uh, you know, that's, that's when I, that's when I got nervous just as in like the plane ride and, oh my gosh, this is happening. You know, the, the nerves you get, the butterflies you get like right before a basketball or football game, kind of like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I made sure the other guys knew in the, in the van too, that I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> they all smelt it um you know like everybody wants that though it's like I'm trying to make this sound like the least gross possible but like you want to share a fart you know and you want to make sure other people can smell it like it was one of those like fist pump moments dude it was bad i feel bad i was just telling the guys guys i don't feel good and it just everybody was not my friend and it was yeah i'm just yeah. glad i didn't ride with you i don't want yeah. to share that no no part of me wants to share that no, not at all. And then I also did it um, on the plane ride. Yeah, that was that was exciting. We the pilot was kind of telling me uh, he 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 grabbed me first because I was the lightest out of our group, um, or I was lightest in that plane um, with Steve, AJ, and Corey Ford, and then the pilot. So he was kind of giving me the rundown of safety precautions if such thing happens you pull this lever and so my my adrenaline's just rushing like oh my god like i have to do this if what happens kind of so i'm freaking out over here and he sits me in the plane and uh it takes everybody about like 10 i would say five minutes to kind of get loaded up into the plane so by that time it, it just anxiety through the roof man and you know things start just rolling through my brain like what's going to happen and all of a sudden I let another one rip and I have a little portion of this on video, but Steve and then Corey run roll in and, and then AJ and, and the pilot roll in. And then you, in the video, you, you hear uh, the pilot take a deep sniff in and he goes, what was that? And then on the video, Steve like looks back at me and he sniffs. He goes, you stink. <laughs> <laughs> 
fan. It's just, I'm not a huge fan of um, flying. Uh, I kind of, I, I was good with heights it, back. Is this your first time flying in a small plane? In a small plane, yeah. yeah. Like I used to fly on, you know, big planes going to like Texas Commercial or California. Stuff. Yeah. Um, and then lately, uh, I kind of put this blame on my my father where he just gets bad vertigo. And so listening to him talk about all of his fears, I think kind of rub off on me. So I just have this fear that kind of developed from these little planes, you know, of what could happen. And yeah, man, I wasn't, yeah, I was a little nervous, but <laughs> yeah. But then the plane ride was amazing. And I'm sure you experienced the same thing. I mean, you, you've been on the plane rides before at Kodiak, but it was it was something special. That's for sure. I think it made the whole hike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think uh, talking with quite a few of the guys from, from all the groups, anybody who participated, like even after the hike and after multiple days of being out in the Frank church, you still ask some guys like, Hey, what was the highlight of the trip for you? And there's quite a few guys like the plane right in, you know, like oh, as yeah. cool as the multiple days of hiking was and being in the Frank, especially for the guys who that experience was newer flying, you know, in a small Cessna or something like that. It's, like that was their highlight was just kicking it off with that, which is super cool. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. And it was a blast. Like fly, like the takeoff, then I started to settle down and we all, everybody, you know, would look back and forth, look to the left and right. And it was just smiles, you know, ear to ear smiles. And, you know, it, it was super cool to just see the country. We saw like a lot of the, I don't know for you guys, but we saw, um, you know, bits and pieces of, of our route that we were going to be climbing over, um, and then once we kind of got over this mountain, you know, it was all smiles for me. And then we hit a little bit of turbulence and kind of sunk like 10 feet down. And all of a sudden I'm like white knuckling each side of my seat, you know, and Steve like looks back at me and I'm just a ghost. And he like tells me, he's like, that's normal. It's okay. Yeah. Um, and then I start to kind of like calm down and, and the pilot takes off his headphones, turns around and I'm like, put your hands on the steering wheel. And he's like, I don't charge extra for any fun. I'm like, Oh, thanks man. <laughs> like right on. <laughs> That's funny. But, yeah. That was cool. It was awesome. Being able to look over a um, few herds of elk towards the end, right, right at our landing strip. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. So I'm not picking on you, like talking about you being nervous and all that, but just, I want to relate like experiences of guys kind of getting out of their comfort zone a bit. And this is obviously the case for you with this trip, but you mentioned like, Oh, I haven't been training as much or things like that. In the end, like those physical capabilities matter, but at the same time as you know, we were giving you trouble for, it's like, Jake, you're young, like you're fit, you're fully capable. Like, so how much do you feel that like your, your nervousness, your anxiety, your questioning, your doubt, whatever, before the trip, like how much of that was truly about your physical capability and how much of, of it was just about like the unknown or the what ifs or those basically what you made of it in your head, right? Yeah, I would say more the what ifs, but I was just using it as I was using my physical capabilities as an excuse, Yeah, <laughs> you know, because um, every time I would talk about potentially backing out or something, both you and Steve were we're telling me, you know, you have nothing to worry about. You're 21 years old. You can, you know, you're in better shape, you know, no offense to any of the guys listening to this podcast who have joined us on the hike, but you know, he, they, he just said, you got, you're, you're in better shape than half the guys just, you know, just purely by age and, you know, physicality. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, I had a lot of doubts just kind of going into it, looking at, looking at the routes um, and just thinking to myself like, man, what if, 
you know, we get caught in, you know, a bad time, you know, bad time and place with snow uh, at this one section and, you know, we just can't make it. Um, and every time I would bring that up to Steve, he would just be like, well, that's fine. All we got to do is just walk back out and hunt wolves or um, go shed hunting and, and um, come back, you know, day three and have the pilots pick us up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, I I mean, yeah, it was just a little bit of nervousness uh, just about my body too. Like a few death hikes, I've been on a few death hikes um, now. And so I know like sometimes things can happen to, to yourself. So I just don't want to be that guy who has an issue and you know, we're with seven other dudes. Um, and I don't want to have to feel like I'm holding them back, you know, cause like if we go back, uh, on the hundred miler, I was holding you and Paul back a little bit, you know, I was hurting here and there. So I think I was just nervous uh, about that, you know, making sure everything was good for me. I was going to have no issues, but nobody knows that nobody knows what's going to happen until you do it. Yeah. Do you feel now having done it, do you feel more confident? now already or do you feel like you're kind of still processing the whole experience like where you, where's your head at now having done it yeah i mean having done it you know i have more confidence than i did before uh still i mean you know we could have been in a situation where it was like your group you know because just hearing the stories um you know definitely on day two it sounds like you guys had one murderous you know day um and so i think i just have this constant doubt uh, I don't know why, but yeah, I mean, I, I, hopefully I could have done, you know, that, uh, that route that you guys did on day two. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, definitely confidence booster now that I finished, um, out, you know, no, nothing hurting, uh, whatsoever. Just, um, yeah, who knows, you know, what things would have been like if they were different, but I think that's a, that's the risk you're willing to take. And, um, that's what makes it fun, I guess, you know, <laughs> yeah. So what, what stands out in your mind of anything you, uh, you know, aside from like confidence and things like that, any kind of concrete stuff you learned on this trip, whether that's about, you know, navigating the mountains, whether it's about gear, whether it's about clothing, like just any kind of like, oh man, this was cool to experience this or learn that or kind of prove this idea. Man, uh, I mean, it was very, very similar to, you know, other death hikes that I've been on. So um, I think it was cool to kind of remember uh, what the process is when hiking, like taking, you know, my experience from my first two death hikes and kind of applying, you know, what did and what didn't work on those hikes to this one. So uh, I think a big thing was making sure, like I noticed in, in our group on day one, um, like a few guys, um, I'm just going to call a few guys, but I'll call Pat out just because he loves me um, and and I can do this to him. But, you know, I, he wasn't drinking nearly as much um, or taking salt tablets. And day one was uh, the warmest. It was really it, like in that canyon. It was super hot. Um, so remembering to drink and take salt tablets was like the biggest thing. And I was like always um, remembering to do so and always remembering to eat because, you know, on these hikes, you don't really get much time to take a full on break. You know, I think you, we did like two, like really two or three really good breaks each day. Um, but still you have to just make sure you're always constantly remembering to do so. And, and I did that pretty well. Um, which Pat, Pat did all right, but he was just one time we were, we were, we took a stop and, and Pat made a comment to Steve, like, wow, man, like you're really drinking some water. And Steve's like, yeah, you have to be like, 
how many, you know, how many times you, you've gone pee and Pat's like none. And Steve's like, you better start drinking now. Um, which I think that, uh, spooked Pat a little bit, which he ended up doing a little bit better, but, um, and I had actually given him some salt tablets cause I packed extra. So just making sure I packed salt tablets. That was a big thing. Um, man, what else? I mean, yeah, it was just kind of, we kind of cruised through, uh, really, uh, there was times where, you know, I'd kind of, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think there was really a time where I just slowed down and towards until the end, which was like day three, but, uh, gear wise, um, dude, I had my jet boil fail on me. I don't know if I told oh, you that. Oh, that's right. I did yeah. hear that, but I didn't hear the details. Yeah. So I, um, I actually never owned a jet boil. I run like the, a little Covia stove with a, um, uh, little kettle type, uh, deal, which is, you know, very light, um, Anyway, so I just decided you might as well just have a jet boil. It doesn't hurt to have one. Uh, so I bought one from REI. Uh, never so it's even a brand new one. Though, yeah, brand, brand spanking new, man. And uh, end of day one, I uh, go to heat up my heat up my jet boil, and it's like not igniting. And finally, it would ignite, and it shot flame on the outside of my hand. I'm like, whoa! Turn that thing off, and I'm like, well, dang, that stinks. So um, yeah, that was a bummer. Make sure uh, you test your gear beforehand but thankfully you know all seven other guys had a jet boil stove so i just used pats um after he was done um so did you uh did you fire that sucker up at all like before the trip or it was literally like brand new out of the box and then you're just going on this trip exactly yeah i should have yeah. fired it. there's up a good before. lesson right well yeah that's exactly why i said yeah. make sure you test your gear beforehand because i didn't i just imagined yeah. sweet we're going i think it was just because you know, you've got those pre-hike jitters. You just got everything going on. All right, right on. I've got a stove. Perfect. Throw that in the pack. All right. What else do I have to pack? Kind of like, I didn't expect that to fail on me, but in reality it did. And so, um, thankfully I was with other guys who did have one. Cause you know, that would have stunk if you're on a backcountry mule deer hunt, you know, um, and you just had to turn around or, you know, maybe shorten your trip up and just have a bunch of bars instead. Um, so yeah, that stunk. Um, man, I think the little things that made the trip good. I brought a little, you know, those mountain house, the mountain house does these, uh, desserts. I brought a ice cream sand sandwich. On, oh on yeah. This. I haven't had one of those in years. Oh yeah, man. It was pretty funny. Cause all the guys were giving me crap. It's like, that's flavored shock, but I'm like, well, you guys are the ones not eating it. So you guys are just <laughs> jealous, but ice cream, Sammy definitely hit the spot on day two, kind of kept the ball rolling. Um, uh. yeah, man. Other than that, uh, yeah, weather dipped into the, you know, it dipped into the, you know, single digits. I know it got negative two for you guys, but, you know, just making sure proper, you know, clothing, like puffy pants in a, uh, you know, big puffy jacket really worked, um, and just made things uh, a whole lot better. So yeah, those were, those were the kind of the, uh, gear pieces that kind of stuck to me. Um, and I mean, and if people have listened to the podcast 133 on the, uh, old death hike podcast, the, the hundred miler, you'll, you'll know this reference, but that wood hoodie was amazeballs. So it really, <laughs> I love how, you know, the episode, like just off of hand, like, oh yeah, it was 133. Yeah. Yeah. I, I researched it last night. You know, I did my, I did my work. But, oh, well done, sir. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so what do you take away from this and like transfer that 
to future hunts and things like that, right? So whether it's, you know, you hunting elk or deer there in Idaho, or even you thinking of head to like, you're going with Kodiak for the first time with us this year. Like how does the death, the death hike and this experience translate into future hunts for you? Um, man, it definitely got me, uh, I would say, uh, aware of what, like you mentioned, Kodiak is going to be like, but Kodiak's nowhere near as I would say intense, but also, I mean, the death hike's intense, don't get me wrong, but, um, I, like I mentioned before, I kind of do have a, a healthy fear of heights. And so like on day three, we were, uh, side hilling this, I'd say steep, but everybody else who saw the photo was like, that's flat land. I laughed you know? when I saw the photo. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so basically we're hiking and, uh, you know, I'm knees are buckled, you know, butts clenched, just kind of hiking across this little, uh, side hill on snow. And all of a sudden, like I, I have my head down and Steve's coming my way and I freeze. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm taking a picture, dude, chill. You know, I thought he was going to like push me or something. And kind of, then he took the picture, came over to me and he's like, you all right. I'm like, yeah, man, I just have a healthy fear of heights. He's like, dude, this is nothing, man. Like we're going to have to take you on some steep stuff before we go to Kodiak. Um, so that kind of translates to that, like, you know, got to be prepared for that as well as, uh, the flight in. I heard that the, the flight into Kodiak was much more intense. And, um, so anyways, it gets me prepared for that, but kind of like hunts, um, man, you can just, you, you really don't know until you do it, uh, you know, what your body can and can't do. And, you know, you'd be surprised. I think everybody knows this, uh, just from hearing it, you know, um, that your body can do more than what you think you can do. Um, you know, and thinking about it, we, I think we did what, like average, I would say 10 plus or minus 10 miles each day. And, you know, that's no joke. So, um, just being able to incorporate that into hunting can, um, really go a long ways and, and make you a better hunter. Um, whether it's going the extra distance or, uh, you know, hanging, you know, sitting, you know, by the wallow just a little bit longer, you know, having that patience or, or just things like that, you know, a lot, you can really learn a lot from, from these hikes and benefits you a, a whole lot, man. Well, Anthony, man, you survived the death hike. Uh, it was fun sharing those miles with you, dude. Likewise, that was a good time. That was a little different this year. Yeah. I think the first time we hiked together was probably on the 100 miler, huh? Yes, that is true. You and I directly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of his mate on the second or third day, but yeah, yeah that was the second day. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Was the 100 miler your first death hike? The first hundred miler was my first death hike. Right. Um, and then I've done, this would be my fourth one this year. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you, you've been there, had some different experiences for sure. What was, uh, what were your thoughts going into this one? Um, you know, I'm, I like to plan ahead of time and know things, um, and it was kind of hard to plan for this one because the conditions were up in the air. I mean, I'd been out hiking every weekend going into this for quite some time. And I was just concerned about the snow conditions because poor snow conditions, we might still be out there right now. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was the big thing in my mind. And then weather, and I've been watching the weather closely for you know, the last week going up into it, they, they kept saying there's a chance on Saturday. And when, when there's a chance in central Idaho in the mountains, I, 
I think that pretty much means it's going to do something. Yeah, so, you kind of have to you know, count on it. Concern. Yeah, there was definitely concerns about that. Mileage-wise, I wasn't really sure. I just wanted to make sure I was back to work by Tuesday. So um, <laughs> it was it was a nervous excitement. Yeah. Dude, I'm the same way, like being a planner. And at some point leading up to this, I just realized I kind of need to let go of that mindset and just be as prepared as I can, but at the same time, just fully expect that I can't plan this out. Like there's going to be unexpected and you just have to roll with it. That is very, very true. And I have a hard time letting go of that myself. I mean, on the hundred milers, like I knew every part of that trail, I'd hiked part of the trail. So I'm just, yeah, these ones that are unexpected or where Steve throws in little envelopes in the middle of it that make us do things. (laughs) Those are, those are tough uh, mentally, mentally. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even get to ask you this during the hike. Uh, I think I was, so, so the end of day two, which was a long day, tough miles. And then we were camped up on the snow. It was cold and temps were dropping and it was snowing and everybody was kind of like setting up their own little camp. And then I feel like most guys, as soon as their tent was set up, they kind of just hung out in it and we all passed out versus (laughs) hanging out at the end of the day. Um, and that was me included. Like I got set up and I was like, Oh, I'll get up and go. And then I was like, no, I'm not getting up anywhere. Um, but I heard like from across the way, because there was essentially multiple people set up between where I was and where you were that your sleeping bag was wet. And I never did ask you about this, but what the heck was the story there? Well, so, you know, the second night we camped down there at the bottom snow slide and all I set up, I just set up my bivy. That was it. And there was just some ice condensation on the outside of it. And then I threw it in my bag or my pack and kept telling myself, oh, I'll take it out during the middle of the day and let it air out. And I never yeah. did. Um, mm-hmm. Not that there were, the conditions were conducive to that. So it was kind of damp. And I was a little bit worried about that as were most of the clothes I was wearing. Um, but yeah, I, I survived. So that was good. It Once I got in my quilt and I, I wore all my clothes to bed, um, mm-hmm. I wasn't moving much like what you're saying. So it, it was okay. I stayed warm enough. Yeah. And you were running like a zero degree, I think enlightened equipment quilt, right? Correct. Zero degree quilt with an Xtherm pad. And then I had my bivy and uh, a tarp that I kind of strung up between the trees. It looked pretty hokey. So, and there, <laughs> there was, there was snow on top of me in the morning. It, <laughs> yeah. On top of the tarp or on top of you? Uh, both. Both. Yeah. So, it had blown in and got on top of my bivy. And when I woke up, I had a little layer of white on top of my bivy. Yeah. yeah. I know you you get out in winter conditions a lot. Like I know you snowmobile and stuff like that. But in terms of like winter backpacking or winter camping, is that something you do much of? No, not a lot. Um, I've done it a few times in the past. I used to do search and rescue with the sheriff's department back home. And we'd have to make snow caves and sleep outside in it. But generally uh, outside a few nights, many years ago when we had to stay the night cause we got lost or something. You don't, I don't choose I don't to do it. To do yeah. I, <laughs> right. I'm, I like to go back to the cabin. So, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Another, uh, I feel like another funny story that came up was, uh, your sunglasses. <laughs> oh what was that? The morning of day two, you were talking about, you know, I never lose sunglasses or something like that. Well, you know, Steve gave us that list of all these things to bring and he had like extra sunglasses and extra fuel and all this stuff. And I was giving Dione a hard time because I asked him how much his pack was and I was probably five or 10 pounds less. And geez, man, you're bringing the kitchen sink. 
And I thought he said something about extra sunglasses. I go, why would you do that? Like whoever loses their sunglasses, it's like losing your rifle. Like I just, I hold on to it the whole time. I've never lost sunglasses in my life. Well, sure enough, day two, right away, walking through all those willows when Dan and I are in the bottom. Yeah, I lost them. And I went to go grab my sunglasses. I'm like, oh, you got to be joking me. So <laughs> that was, that was bad. Cause I knew once we got on the snow, it was going to be blinding. So yeah, yeah lesson learned there. I, I still don't think I'm going to pack an extra pair in the future, but I also don't think we'll be bushwhacking like we did through those willows again. Yeah. I think there's certain things that happened in snow slide that aren't normal and that just because it happened then doesn't mean it'll happen again. As long as you avoid crap holes like that. Oh, I have no intention of ever going back there in my life. Yeah. That yeah. place is awful. I feel that like I don't know if it was you, Anthony, but I think it might have been basically said that that was one of the toughest days you've done. I think of all the death hikes, it, physically, it wasn't that bad, but it was just so demoralizing. Like you yeah. think you have a good line and then you see people on the other ridge ahead of you and then you start going down one line and then Dan, uh, Salzman and I watched each other slide down the mountain on our bottoms more than once. And here we all, you know, carrying our nice rifles and stuff. I'm like, man, this is not cool. And then <laughs> it just, it, it, it's like you were just spinning in the mud going nowhere. That was, that was tough. And, you know, and then of course it ended, it's snowing and it's cold and we're all trying to get set up. And that night, you know, I brought an extra um, meal for dinner just in case. And on Saturday night, you know, I'm kind of cold and beat and tired and wet and hungry. I said, screw it. I'm eating my last one. So I'll, I'll find a way out of here tomorrow, one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. you, you ate an extra? So you had like two meals? Yeah. So I brought three three meals, Friday yeah. night, Saturday night, and then just one extra in case things got real sideways. And I realized, you know, we're only 12 miles away or whatever from, from the finish. So I'm just going to go all out and eat this last one right now. Yeah. That's funny. So hit training because you are uh, you have a lot of training experience. Not only have done death hikes, but you're just very fit in general. Um, yeah. So what what worked well training wise going into this for you? I know there are some things that you know you having previous death hike experiences. You've trained a certain way for those, but then this was you know this had different demands. I think between the off trail, between the pack weight between all those variables, um, I feel like this one was physically not necessarily the most difficult, but it was also a, a different physical demand maybe than just like crushing miles on a hundred miler. So from a training and kind of performance perspective, what did you learn there? Um, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, the hundred miler, it's just, first off it's trail most of the way and it's not bad trail. Um, and you can kind of shut you can just shut off and get on auto cruise and just go, just keep walking and eating, walking and eating this. So I think training for something like that, um, is different than a death hike, like, like this year's, which is probably more comparable to actually being out there hunting where, you know, when you're hunting, you just don't walk on a trail for 30 miles straight. You're, you're off trail, your side Hill, you spot an animal, you cut across a ravine, you kill an animal. So, you know, your pack weight changes and the conditions change. So I went into this one training more like I have for the hundred milers where 
I switched my routine to a little bit more cardio based than strength. Granted, I still did strength training, you know, three, four times a week, but in the past I've used Mount tough fitness, which I really like. And I think it's similar to like an atomic athlete. I've looked at their stuff. So they both kind of are set up and designed the same way. Um, this time I did something more along the lines of the uphill athlete and training peaks, which is a mountaineering type training or long distance running type training. So it's more long, um, low heart rate cardio sessions where your, your heart rates in that, you know, level one or level two, trying to increase your anaerobic threshold. So I did more of that, a lot of early mornings on my treadmill and half the time with packs. And that would have been perfect for a hundred miler. But the thing different this year, like you said, was that it was day two. It was this huge section of off trail where, I mean, I remember I came out of the, the hike with, with cuts and bruises on my hands from climbing over stuff and pulling myself up over trees and logs and, and rocks. So I think I would have changed it by done in, by have doing more of my strength training still with the cardio base. The other thing that was different was our pack weights. So on the hundred milers we're running 20, 25 pounds, which is essentially nothing. Um, this time we're all running 45, 50. And I think there's a point somewhere in that 40 to 50 pound range where cardio and strength kind of cross over and mm. you need both. And I, I think, it was your podcast, Mike Provost, Provost that yeah, Provost, I think. Yeah, and yep. he talks about this and their studies with the military guys and rucking versus running, and it's it's very true. So, I think for what we do for hunting, yeah, you're always going to need a strong cardio base, but I think you do need that strength as well, um, overall strength, because. You might hike in with a light load, but hopefully you're coming out with a big load. So I felt, you know, plenty well prepared for the hike and I think I did okay. But, um, yeah, I still think you need to continue with that strength basis dietary wise uh, as about the same as, you know, in the past five to 6,000 calories. So that part wasn't bad. Although I don't, I don't know that we were burning as many calories as we would have at a hundred miler, which just nonstop. Yeah, no, I agree. What is what does strength look like for you? And I'm curious, and for folks that don't know you, like you, I don't know if you, do you have like a bodybuilding background? Like you're, you're um, you look very strong, like yeah. muscular, right? Like you, it, a lot of guys hear, you know, these like mountain type things and they picture somebody who's probably, you know, long and lean and all that. And you're very lean, but you're not like lanky. Like you're very muscular. Yeah. Um, um yeah. Yeah. Just from playing sports growing up and football and such, I did do some like powerlifting stuff through high school and continued. I continued those type of workouts through college and, and still kind of do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still think that you need a combination of upper and lower body strength. <sighs> you know, I used to do dedicated days for each body group. Now I, I don't do that so much. I might do like your push and pulls, but I think your, your five basics, your bench press, your a heavy, like row shoulder press, deadlift and squat is a good, a good basis. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think you still need some upper body strength. Plus I like to have the symmetry with that, but lower body strength is really important. I mean, that's honestly what's carrying you and your pack and your animals. So squats, deadlifts, 
tons of lunges, reverse lunges, box step ups. Um, and like I said, that mountain tough program has a ton of that. And then lastly, the core component, you know, if you don't have a strong core, you're, you're in trouble. Um, mm-hmm. and you need the flexibility that goes with it, you know, strength without flexibility is arguably detrimental. So I think you need that. And then I'll, I'll kind of go through different waves throughout the year. If I'm on my off season, you know, working more on strength then as I get into season, I'll transition into more sports specific type training, but you know, I like strength days. I like, you know, maybe one or two hit workouts a week. I like designated cardio days, two to three times a week. So I'm generally exercising and or training. Oh man, almost, I'd say six days a week, sometimes more, but yeah. uh, yeah, five to six days a week at a minimum. Yeah. And it sounds like almost a little bit of everything, which I think is good. Yeah, I, I do think so. But yeah, I definitely don't want to lose that strength component overall. And plus for, for what I do in my job, I, I do need to keep some upper body strength because I just get, I'm pounded on my shoulders all day. So I think it's important to keep that. Mm-hmm. What do you, how do you feel like these death, you mentioned it earlier that maybe this death hike specifically translated somewhat more to realistic movement in terms of hunting versus like you said, just crushing miles on a hundred miler. So whether it's physically, whether it's just mindset, like anything that helps you tie your experiences with death hikes into hunting, like what is that connection for you? Yeah. So you know, I've, I've noticed it on the first one and I definitely noticed it a lot with this one, you know, the hundred miler, I kind of learned like, okay, you know, if push comes to shove or I'm in a bad position, I know I can hike out 30 plus miles in one day and I'm physically capable of it and and going to live. So I think it's nice having that, you know, your back pocket, knowing something goes real sideways and you need to hike out you're going to be okay. And in the back of my mind, when I'm in the, and I spend a lot of time hunting and scouting by myself. So I know I'm okay. If, if something gets bad, I'll just hike out. The interesting one with this year's hike was, I do think it relates more to hunting where you've got the variables of the train and the weather, which are big, um, and to some degree equipment. So, so I think, you know, when hunting, it's important to know that mother nature has a mind of her own and you, you need to be prepared for it. So as much as I like to, I mean, I have all this crazy lightweight gear, like I'm sure, you know, you and Steve are the same way you do need to be prepared because, you know, here there was a 30% chance of rain or snow Saturday night, we're getting snowed on the temperatures below zero. So, you know, you need to be prepared for that. But on the flip side, day one, you know, it was warm out and I pulled no less than hundred ticks off my pants that day. <laughs> so I think, you know, usually the first guy that goes through the brush gets 75% of them and then it kind of tapers down the line. But I mean, I treated my clothes and everything and it's, I, I almost felt like I, I sprayed something that attracted them onto myself. So, um, being prepared and knowing the area you're going to hunt is is important. And that's the nice thing of living here is I spend a lot of time there, but yeah, you know, expect the unexpected with the weather and conditions. Um, and while being lightweight is great an, an extra pound or two to have certain things is not a bad idea. I really, really debated bringing rain gear. Um, and I'm glad I threw, I at least threw the jacket in because, you know, Saturday afternoon, it was, it was snowing good and we we're getting wet. We we're slow going up that 
that creek bottom. So, yeah. and that's what it's like hunting. Uh, I spent seven days early fall deer by myself in the Frank church and the forecast was great. And day six, I got snowed on and got wet. So, you know, you just, you never, never know. Um, so this is, this death hike was much like hunting in the backcountry. It, it could change the drop of a hat. And of course we were carrying that weight and that's what it was tougher because that extra weight, especially when you're going over country with no trails and, you know, rock slides and downfall everywhere. So I thought it was a very true testament of what we do in the backcountry while hunting. So Justin, going into this one, uh, what were you confident about? What were you nervous about? Um, <clears throat> I was confident in my just overall um, endurance. You know, I knew I could do it. Um, I was extremely nervous about the cold um, just because... I haven't done a lot of super cold weather camping. And when I have before, it's really not been fun <laughs> in my experience, yeah. but I've also been alone 90% of the time. So it's also a little bit different alone versus having guys around, you know, it helps a lot to have someone to talk to and just, yeah, it does make a difference. Anything yeah. that sucks is better when shared. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just having to drive to do it by yourself is, yeah, it's not easy. So, yeah. What but, is that? Uh, yeah. Because you're from, uh, you're in the midst of a move now, but you're from the Northwest. What's the yep. cold weather camping been for you? Is that like on out of state hunts or just, you know, the times it drops up there? Yeah, pretty much just out of state hunts. Like, I think the coldest before this I've ever camped in was in Wyoming one September. It got down to like eight, nine degrees. It was pretty open cold, but yeah, this was, uh, I was a little more nervous about this one and, and, uh, you know, talking to you before, you know, I have Lyme disease. So like going through all that in the past, I just, the, the past couple of years, I don't handle the cold as well as I used to. And so I was a little bit, a little bit concerned. I didn't really sleep, sleep much the night before knowing we had a flight in and, you know, uh, all of the above. Yeah. It was pretty nerve wracking, but once we got into it and you know, the first night was, I slept great and wasn't cold and yeah, it was, I was really impressed with my gear choices, I think. Yeah. So what was the good gear that kept you warm? Was that clothing, sleep system stuff, all the above? Just my, yeah, my sleep system. I keep it pretty simple. Um, I was just running the seek outside Eolus. I think it's ELS or Silex. I don't remember. It's one of the two. Um, but anyways, I was running that. So floorless shelter. And then I got the big Agnes Q4 pad that I've had for a long time. And that thing's always kept me really warm and off the ground enough in cold weather. And then I have a uh, outdoor vitals uh, down. I think it's a 10 degree bag. Okay. And I've always just packed my little, uh, what is it? A Cedar Summit, uh, little liner. Oh yeah, is that and like a, a cotton silk? What it, do you know? What material that is? I think it's got it's. I think it's like some kind of spandex cotton combo. Some sort of synthetic. It's pretty, yeah. it's pretty stretchy. Okay. Um, but man, that thing comes in handy because it, it. I mean, it says it's going to drop it 
20 degrees or whatever, but I, I think it's more like five to 10, mm-hmm. but it helps for sure. I, and that, and things small enough and light enough that I just take it with me. And, you know, if it gets cold, I just bust that thing out, slide that thing in and yeah, just takes the edge off. Yeah. Cool, man. Um, but I'm sure we could tell a lot of stories and you could share a lot of history, but for guys who just heard you mention in passing, you have Lyme disease. If you don't mind sharing, like what has that experience been for you? Cause I know I can remember even going back last year, I think when we were out in Portland for one of the shows and we did a training hike for uh, what was supposed to be the 2020 death hike. I remember yeah. hearing, you know, some from you then about kind of how hard it had been and how hard it hit you. So I guess, you know, just from a super high level, man, like what has that been like uh, since you were diagnosed and fought through it and kind of struggling to have that strength uh, and be back to quote unquote normal <laughs> or as close to yeah. as possible now? Yeah. Um, you know, it's just been, I think the easiest way to put it is that it's just been probably 50% harder for me to do kind of normal stuff. Um, you know, the biggest thing for me is that I went undiagnosed or misdiagnosed for about two and a half years before it actually, you know, got semi taken care of. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was the main thing. So when it got into my brain and I started having just all kinds of cognitive issues and neuropathy and seizures and that kind of stuff, you know, that, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just a little bit harder, you know? Um, but for the most part, I think it's just, you know, it's just kind of mind over matter, you know, there's things that I've had to learn to deal with and, you know, it's like, I mean, I didn't, I try not to complain about too much, but you know, my whole, my left foot, the whole left side of my leg and everything is just, it kind of tingles and is numb the whole time doesn't matter as soon as I start hiking anywhere. And so it was kind of interesting, you know, I was worried about that a little bit going through the hike because I couldn't really feel the cold in my left. And I was a little nervous about just having everything wet and cold and this and that, you know? So there's some lingering issues like that, that I still got to just pay more attention to. Um, I got a really, really clean eat. (laughs) Um, I was going to ask you, so you mentioned, uh, you know, after the hike, you went with a lot of like meat and cheese, very low sugar. And I was going to ask you if that had anything, that diet had anything to do with Lyme disease or that's just what you're used to from a day to day because, you know, you're going to hike like this and myself included, I'm downing Pop-Tarts and gummy bears and sugar at times. Uh, yeah. Whereas you go pretty low sugar. So, uh, yeah, how's that? Yeah, I think, I think the highest sugar thing that I have or carry with me is just up peanut butter bar that I make at home, which is, you know, low sugar peanut butter anyways. But, um, yeah, for me, a lot of it's been from the Lyme disease. I was on antibiotics for, I don't know, almost two years or something like that. So it really just destroyed my gut. And Mm. I also think that the sugar, it kind of, I don't know, I've never done cocaine, but I imagine that it does the same (laughs) thing that, uh, it just, when I have sugar, I can't like 
focus. I can't think straight. Um, it just, it just really, really affects me a lot worse now than it ever. Yeah. It, it's not enjoyable. Um, I don't, mm -hmm. I'll get sick to my stomach. I'd probably puke, you know, even this go around trying to mess around with the salt caps again. And I just, I can't stomach those anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, for me, it's, it's more, you know, I'm used to eating pretty clean on a day-to-day -day basis, but then at the same time, you know, the lime thing definitely comes into, is, you know, is a big factor. Yeah. So it's, uh, one of the things that stands out to me that, you know, was a concern going into this hike was just the snowshoe aspect and that guy's snowshoeing. But honestly, if we got into a spot where snow was bad and then had issues with snowshoes um which you did you broke a binding thankfully the snow conditions weren't terrible like snowshoes were beneficial for sure but um yeah what i did because i wasn't in your group so i didn't see it i just heard about it but did you just have something kind of snap on a binding or what was that issue there gear wise uh, i just completely lost the buckle i don't know what oh, happened really? like the yeah, somewhere along the trail, along the first few miles, or maybe in the plane, in the belly somewhere. I don't know, because um, I know all of our snowshoes got thrown in the belly of a plane altogether on the way in. So, I don't know. At some some point, I had buckles on there the day before and the night before when I packed my bag. And then somewhere between there and when we first needed them, I lost the buckle I, well technically two buckles i lost the male and the female buckle on my one of my snowshoes so oh. yeah luckily you know um luckily steve sent out some emails about you know carrying extra things like that zip ties and duct tape and whatnot and um you know i typically try to be prepared with things like that but you never know what's going to happen and yeah i did make the unfortunate mistake of just strapping the whole thing really tight to my boot instead of trying to zip tie the buckle back together like it should have. Right. And uh, so I still have a pretty gnarly bruise on top of my foot. And this is just what, from like a long? pressure point. Yeah. Just the, the one, the heavy zip tie was just, just rubbing on the top of my, the bone of my foot right there, the whole, the whole trip. And uh, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. It's been what a couple of weeks now, and it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, dude! Despite all that, despite the Lyme disease, broken gear, dealing with, uh, yeah, just kind of some struggles and challenges. You were the one guy who chose to carry some extra weight and pack out an elk shed, man. Yeah, I know. I was <laughs> uh, one of those things that it I was a nice one, though. It was worth it, I think. It was worth it, I think. You know, the other couple ones, yeah, we could have taken, but it was like, yeah, they were kind of white and smaller. But that's also, yeah, it was. The, it was probably the most fresh elk shed I've ever found. You know, had a little hair and blood on it still, and I was like, that's pretty cool. So that is cool. You know, I didn't know what we were in for, but yeah, either way, I still think I would have packed it. <laughs> Did you pick that up on day one? Yeah, probably four miles from the airstrip oh wow yeah so you carried it away <laughs> yeah so i carried it the whole time yeah uh, there was a couple points that along the way where actually at one point i i fell through the snow i think uh somebody's got a picture i post hold through the snow and in, in both feet and at one point that antler was the only thing like hanging on up a little 
because it was strapped to my pack. Uh-huh. I was just, I was kicking my feet under the snow, and I'm I'm a pretty small guy. And I couldn't I couldn't there was nothing for me to push against. So uh, I forget who it was. I think it was AJ came by and had to lift me up out of the hole by my antler, and <laughs> so I could get moving again. There you go, man. It worked out, huh? Yeah, saved me. Yeah, that's cool. Um, random gear thing. You had boot dryers in your pack and like i've never once thought of packable boot dryers or even the concept you know when i think boot dryer i think you know plugging into 110 and this giant thing but yeah uh, exactly yeah man like uh tell us about it because it was pretty cool to see it and i did i wasn't again i wasn't in your group so i didn't see until afterwards but pretty slick little system yeah when i busted those out at the end of the first night Every, you know, there was quite a few guys in the group that came up and they're like, Hey, what, what do you got going on here? And, uh, yeah, so they're, they're called Grack saw it's G R A K K S A W. And I'm, I'm 99% sure they're made in Missouri. Um, guy, he makes game bags and stuff too, that are really cool. I run his game bag system as well. Um, but yeah, they just, they just plug into your, you know, any sort of battery bank. I personally have a dark energy pers- Poseidon. Uh-huh. I got for a few years and they're just basically little, um, like a server fan for a computer, brushless little motor. And they, they're in like a molded disc with some air holes through it. And you kind of just wedge the discs into the top of your boots i like to put my boots upside down and put them in there and uh Mm. just to help everything kind of drain out but um i don't know if it makes a difference or not but um yeah and so anyways they they ran every night we were in we had long nights in camp too you know we were there at what six until six we were in camp for 12 hours and i'd take my boots off and run those things for 12 hours 12 to you know eight to 12 hours on average every night and i think i had half my battery bank left still after the end of the hike wow after yeah 20 to 24 hours of runtime i guess on those yeah and i tested them at home and i and i don't don't remember how i think it was 36 hours they ran total or 37 hours um just off that one charged battery bank nice man so yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty slick. And then they're, I guess they weigh a few ounces or something like that for the set. Yeah, I can't. I want to say it's. I want to say it's like six to eight ounces right in there. I could be wrong. I'd have to look up on the. I know they're they're light enough for me that I don't think nothing of it and throw them in the pack. Huh. Cool. You know, I'm always going to have that battery bank anyways, and what's another couple ounces for some awesome boot dryers? Yeah, that's neat, man. That's that's one of the fun things. Uh, it's like going on a trip like this and then you have 17 guys, everybody's going to have like something new or trying something different. And it's almost like a, a little mini hunt expo to walk around camp at night and be like, Hey, what you got going on yeah. over there? Like what shelter is that? Or what are you running? What are you doing? It's pretty fun. Exactly. Yeah. The one thing I thought was interesting is there wasn't a single pair of snowshoes that was the same. Oh, there wasn't in your group, huh? I, I have both groups. Like, all of us i'm pretty sure when we got back i looked at everyone's snowshoes and i don't think there was a single pair that was the same out of all what 18 of us or 19, 17 of us yeah I, yeah i feel like maybe 
I saw two, you know, like I know Steve and I had the same shoes and maybe Dione. Um, and then I feel like there was maybe another couple, a different model of MSR a couple guys had, but I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say out of 18 guys, there's, you know, easily there was, probably yeah. 14, 12 or 14 different models. Yeah. Which was interesting to me. You know, yeah. that was, I was just noticed that, um, the different sleep systems were pretty cool to see. There's a lot of, you know, Steve has, you both have a lot of different, um, brands of things that i've never seen before which is kind of cool so it's you know thinking outside the box not just not just uh you know hunting brands yeah thanks for uh sharing a few minutes here on the podcast and looking forward to doing more of these in the future with you yeah man looking forward to next year already Well, that's a wrap, guys. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. As I mentioned before, we'll be back to our regular show format here soon. So if you haven't yet, hit the subscribe or follow button in your podcast app, and you will receive those future episodes automatically. We'll talk to you soon.